to the Blue Roads Changemaker Podcast. I'm Patty Talbot, CEO and co-founder of Blue Roads Education Group. In this series, you'll hear reflections about what it means to be a homegrown changemaker. We focus interviews around the Blue Roads mantra, homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. Our guests are amazing changemakers, solutionaries, and social innovators who've taken the path from local citizen to global changemaker and or from global citizen to local changemaker by working to change the system that creates the world's most challenging issues close to home and around the globe. I ask participants to tell us about their origins, how they've engaged with others different from themselves, how they work to create solutions, and how they've used these experiences to make the leap to changemakers addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. As their host, I try hard to take myself out of the conversation as much as possible so you won't notice the typical back and forth of the interview process. I hope this will help you to hear their stories as a complete narrative that addresses all four quadrants of the Blue Roads Changemaker Journey, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World. I'm so happy today to have Dr. Leovani Nazario with me to tell our audience about her homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. As you'll see, Leovani's life resonates with clear themes about fairness and inclusivity. With a strong role model for helping others from her mom, she starts out by telling us about her roots in Puerto Rico that led her to a life of service. The second half of our conversation moves to her current work with college students and her perspective on what it means to be a changemaker. Welcome, everyone. I am excited today to be here for another Changemaker interview. And today I'm welcoming my friend, Leovani Nazario. Hi, everybody. Welcome, Leovani. I'm so excited you're here. I met Leovani at the River Phoenix Center for Peace Building last fall. And like some of the other changemakers you've heard from, she is awesome and in the business of working to make the world a better place. So welcome, Leovani. I'll let you introduce yourself better than I have just done, if you would. Thank you so much. I am excited to be here. I'm excited. And just a little bit about me, I was born and, and raised in Puerto Rico, but now is half my life I've lived in Puerto Rico and half of my life I've lived here in Tallahassee, Florida. I came here for grad school and then just stay. I, as of now, I work with Southern Scholarship Foundation, which we give rent-free housing to students who are doing very good in academics, but are low income and are accepted to different universities, but wouldn't be able to go because they couldn't afford the housing. So we offer free rent housing for them here in Tallahassee and in Gainesville. I've been working here for a year now. April 1st was my work anniversary, however you call it. And I love it here. I love what I do. I love working with college students. And then I guess another thing about me is I have an 18-year-old daughter, and her name is India. And yeah, and because of the virus, she's back home because she has to do online schooling. So I'm happy that she's home, and I'm pretty sure she's not as happy as I am, but yeah. I am 
46 year old. So I've met, I live in Puerto Rico for 22, 23 years. And then I've been the other half here in Tallahassee. I am a hundred percent Puerto Rican. I consider myself Puerto Rican in every aspect of my life. That is a huge part of who I am because I was there half of my life and my family is still there. Not all of them, but I'll, you know, some of my families are, are still there. I go there every year and I think it's just living in there, being raised there and now living here in the United States has just formed me. I could never take out that being Puerto Rican is a huge part of my life or who I am, how I treat people, how I am, the, the person I am, how I cook, <laughs> how I talk, how I express myself. And I think maybe also it helps me see the world maybe in, in another set of eyes, just because I've lived in two places for such a long time. So I see things sometimes in like, how I will see it if I live in Puerto Rico and how I see it because I'm living here. And also I'm always thinking like, how do people in Puerto Rico see this or are feeling this in difference to how we are seeing and how we are feeling something, an event or, or a catastrophe or an, or a virus. I was also raised with my mom, which was really my grandmother so my grandmother adopted me when I was born because my biological mom was very young. And at that time, it was like, Ooh. so my, my biological grandmother adopted me. So I was raised with her and then my biological mom and my biological aunts as my sisters. And I knew who I was, but it was just this house full of women. And... So I think I get a lot of who I am and my strength because all these women were so strong and just knew what they wanted and went for it. So that's like the people that I had around me when I was born are this strong, awesome, beautiful Puerto Rican women just doing what they want to do and really not caring about the world and what they thought of them, they just went for it. So I think since I was very young, I always, I can see myself thinking of the, the word fair. I can remember me very young as, oh, that's not fair. Well, that shouldn't, you know, like I was always in that set of mind of why are this group of people being treated like this, always remember that word fair being in my head. That always was said in the back of my head. It was making things fair for everybody. At that point, that's how I saw it. Even though I didn't start volunteering early on in my life, I did see a lot of it from my mom. So my mom, that's all I saw because my mom, since she was older, retired when I was very young. And then everything she did after that was volunteering. So she will volunteer with the church. So she will volunteer with the hospital. She will volunteer with this organization and that organization. And at that point, I just thought that's what people 
did <laughs> normally because that's what she was doing and she was my mom. So that's what people do. So I think very early on, I learned the importance and the need of, of just, because for her, it was like a need for her that to do that. And so I think I learned the importance of helping others, serving others, helping your community, helping where it's needed, lending a hand. And never from her, when she was volunteering, before that she was a teacher and a librarian, I never heard her whine or being like overwhelmed or anything like that with the volunteering part of it. She was always talking about her students and about the students she helped at the library. And even years after she retired, that's all she could talk about. She loved her job as a librarian. And, but the helping part of it, that's what she liked. And then volunteering was so huge, but it was never like, oh, I have to volunteer or no, it was like, what else can I do? Now I'm volunteering at the hospital, but now they need this. So I'm going to make this now in the hospital. And it was always installing me the importance of helping and serving others. So I think from early on, I've always been around people that are different from me, starting with the way I was raised in my family. You know, my family dynamics were very different from everybody else I was around. But I think I I always welcome and be, and I've been very comfortable with diversity. In Puerto Rico, you, you know, you think there's a lot of color diversity because Puerto Ricans look in such a big, spectrum like if you see just my siblings and I like I I would love to have have a picture here now to show you I'm the oldest and I look maybe like what the most Puerto Rican of all of us and then but my sister is extremely white green eyes and a red hair and a red hair so like if you see her just walking down the street that's not what you would consider a Puerto Rican and then my youngest brother is black with dreads. So we're just like this beautiful rainbow already just in my family. That's just how it is because my family is already so different just the way we look. But at the end of the day, we're all Puerto Ricans. We live in the island. So there was that common ground. And then when I moved to the United States, when I think I started seeing what diversity really meant because at that point now I am a minority here I think the dynamics of me seeing what diversity meant changed it was a culture shock you are treated in a different way not by everybody but sadly by a lot of people and and then I think for me I started, I think I started getting attracted to other minority groups because I think it was easier. And then I think the fairness factor that has always been in my head then really started resounding and, you know, I really started listening and hearing it and seeing it and feeling it. And yeah, so then it, 
little by little, it all just has influenced everything that I do because who I am and my experiences and what I see these other groups experiencing is what I'm fierce about working to help change. So the funny thing is that when I went to school, I went to school to be, I wanted to be a college professor. That was my goal. And things in life, I went to school, I got my PhD in education. So I was going towards that goal. And then life just, you know, how life is just sometimes you just don't go the way you think you're going to go. started working for a nonprofit who's called um, 211 Big Ben. They needed someone bilingual and it was a full-time job and it had benefits. And I really didn't have a lot of experience with nonprofits or anything like that. So that's what really started everything for me was that job because it was the first time that I'm really working to help people. So what you do at 211 is you train to be a crisis counselor. So you are taking calls from people that are in need because they need a food pantry. Where can I go for the food pantry? Or they are behind on rent or they need childcare. So you are getting from this of just a base, you know, basic needs that people need to the other extreme, which was suicide callers that are thinking about it or in the midst of trying to kill themselves or in that state of mind and going through that. So during that time I was there, I was there for eight years. I started as a counselor and then I became an, an administrator. But during my administrator years, you have to keep doing the counseling as part of your job. So those eight years there just changed me completely because I got to experience full on the real needs out there and how we think the world is working in one way, like, oh, there's Medicaid, there's food stamps, there's this, there's that. And then when you talk to the people and when you work with them and you're like, no, Some people are not eligible for that. Even if they are, they still can't pay rent. They still can't do this. And that just opened my eyes to the things that are needed out there that just people don't know. People just don't know. And, um, And then the counseling part with all this, it opens your eyes to how people just sometimes need to be heard. And that was huge for me to learn because sometimes when you're thinking about counseling or being a good listener, you are thinking you have to say something back. You have to, oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you because this happened to me or, or you have to tell them what you think or you have to tell them what to do. And in reality, people just want to be heard. They don't even care if you say anything back. (laughs) And that was huge for me to learn that part of counseling, which was the real thing about being a good listener. 
any job that I've had after that, I do have to thank that 211 job that I had for eight years because that I feel gave me my ground, my, my basis. That was like my education for helping and from learning the needs and learning how to help and all of that. So from there, I went, so I've always been super into fitness and exercising and since I was very young. So I started my own fitness company called Buyaka Buya Fitness. <laughs> and I love helping women and them to feel better about themselves. So when I was training people, that was, I did that for three years and that was huge for me to see this women self-esteem go up and being empowered and doing things that they didn't think they were going to do. And so it was funny how personal training became this other thing for me. And then from there, I started working with the Oasis Center for Women and Girls, where we offer anything from counseling, We had a single mom support group. We used to go to schools to teach the girls about self-esteem, empowerment. And we had a girls can do anything camp. I got involved with Oasis because my daughter was in the camp. And I just volunteer here and there sometimes. And then that position opened. And I was doing the personal training, which I was loving. I was like, oh. Oh my God, this awesome position that literally the description of the position was me. And I was like, with this place I love and I'm doing personal training, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm still going to be working with women. So, and I went back and I guess, again, the nonprofit world just pulled me back, got me back in. And I was with them for a year and a half. And again, it's useful still see how much need is out there. And it was working with those women and those girls is there's nothing like it. There's again, hearing what people that need to be heard and seeing them. Because I think a lot of times when people go to places to get help, they just get someone like, oh, here is this, here is that. We don't have that. We don't have that at the end. But when they see that you are seeing them, that you are there for them for real, it just changes everything. You see it on their faces. We cannot help everybody. There's not help out there for everybody. That's the sad part. I would give them referrals and whatnot, but I know those referrals don't have the help they need anymore. They run out of money by the first day of the month or something like that. But, you know, they were sad they couldn't get any help, but they made that connection with me. I made time for them. I made them feel important. I made them feel like they were someone that I care for them and that sometimes yes they still need the money and the rent and the shelter and whatnot but i want to say and i feel and i hope that that was the truth that i 
that just being there for that person made a little bit of a difference in that person's life. And I couldn't have done that if I wouldn't learn my skills at 211. There's no way. And that is what I think made me really good at that job and at my job right now is those skills that I learned at 211. This position opened here at SSF, at Southern Scholarship Foundation, which was helping college students that were in need of housing. And I feel like every job that I've had in nonprofit. They're all the same as far as, as all helping people, but be, every job teaches you something. And I feel more and more prepared as the years gone by. So now with 211 and with Oasis and with teaching, because I taught for like 10 years, it's just helped me be really good at what I do at, I hear at SSM. Like I, I, but I think it's because I love it so much because all those things have prepared me. My position is the one dealing with the students one-on-one. So the relationships with the office, the relationships between the houses, we have 16 houses here in Tallahassee, almost 300 students that I supervise. The relationships were not the best, at that point, because of nobody's fault, you know, people were leaving, coming, it was just tumultuous. And the thing that I hear from the students is, again, that they are, they feel like I'm listening, they feel like I'm seeing them, and I, they feel heard. And so basic, so basic. But because of that, then they feel that you care. So they tell you more things. That's such a good thing that they feel they can come and talk to you. Yeah, but it's again, goes to that basic need of every human being. After I went to the peace building training with you, a huge part that stayed with me was when we did restorative justice. Because each house that I manage has 17 students living in them, but sometimes it's up to 21 and we have a house that is 27. So these are young people. They're, they don't have skills yet. There's conflicts between them. They have no idea how to deal with these conflicts. This conflict just goes sometimes to levels they don't need to. And restorative justice just gave me, I knew how to talk to a person one-on-one. And I know, and I'm, I'm good at that. But I didn't have the skill to bring people together in conflict resolution. I thought I did. And I might have been better than others before I had the training. but. Now I feel confident and that just gave me that another set of skills that I didn't have. And since then I've used them. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Like I was, I just went for it and it worked. And I was like, 
so excited after the students left, like in front of them, I'm just like, oh yeah, okay. You know, after they leave, I'm like, yeah, like I'm so excited in my office about it. So then I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. And my boss is, he's so supportive. Anything I want to try, he's like, okay, <laughs> what is it? Okay, that sounds good. You go for it. I trust you. I've done it with three or in three situations that has happened since then. And all three times it has worked, the students feel hurt when I do it. And they don't even know what I'm doing kind of deal. But I'm even doing surveys with them after because what I want after I've done it enough times, I want to present it to other agencies or to even to my agency and just to other people, like how it doesn't have to be on the scale that we learn it from. Because we learn it more on like the juvenile justice, you know, once they've gotten things have gotten to that level, but that they can also be used at a lower level, I guess, you know, with any type of conflict. So I'm excited. So I've been, every time I finish one, I take notes on it and I keep in the paperwork and the surveys that I give to the students because I want to do some type of presentation after who knows what, because I don't know when I'm using it again. So I can, you know, but the circles and all of that, that we did there also made me think about doing circles here for groups that might not feel as hurt as other groups. And one that thing that has come up to our attention from some of our residents is that the LGBTQ community was was not being feeling uh, represented and heard in our community. My door is full of like of pronouns and this and that, but we knew we were doing it for ourselves and the students know it about ourselves, but we were not open about it enough for them to feel included in our community. So learning the circles and all of that that we learned at the training then led me to want to start this LGBTQ chat is going to be called chat group because so it's not a support group because I am not I am not a a certified counselor you can come in and if there's problems and things like that like you will bring in a support group you can bring them to the group but it's something more relaxed so it's just for them to come and being seen and heard and and to see others in the community that are LGBTQ and might be, you know, they're young and they're coming into these houses. Our houses are male or female. So that right there is for someone that is non-binary, for someone that is trying to identify themselves, that is already very, you know, one or the other. And in usually in a house of females and they're talking about boys and in a house of males, they're going to be talking about girls, you know, that's so it's not very inclusive. Once you start thinking about it, we started having conversations with the students. We started reaching out to 
a friend of mine that knows a lot about working with the LGBTQ community and policy. So all of that made me comfortable enough to start this group, hopefully in, in the fall, and at the same time, bring this friend of mine who's going to revise all our policies, procedures, handbook, the language we're using, so that it's as inclusive as possible. We are really doing what we preach. Once again, it was a, a part of my community that was not feeling heard, seeing all the basic things. I think the circles or restorative justice, that was a big thing that I got from the training and that I am hopefully effectively using in the agency now. And then next year, the goal is for my counterpart, for Teresa, to go through the immersion um, this year. You know how I told you, oh, I don't see myself as a change maker, right? And it makes me think that people just like me sometimes, we think that change makers are people that are more seen and people that are doing things on the grand scheme of things. Like I will think of Rivera because she's out there training these groups. And that's sometimes what I think more of a change maker, you know, or heart that is all, you know, all over the world and whatnot. But then all those people cannot do everything. And, you know, while you're doing things on the big area, on the spectrum, you have to have all these people doing the work in the community. And I guess I am a change maker. But then what I want to tell the other people, so you are change makers. As long as you're doing something that is influencing in a positive way other people's lives, as long as you're doing something to make changes, and maybe not directly, maybe you're changing policies, maybe you are changing laws that will help them. So it's not even a direct one-on-one with, then you are a change maker. All this little aspect, it's like a puzzle. You need all those little puzzle pieces to be able to do the whole work. Thank you, Leovani. I so appreciate your perspective on what it means to be a change maker. It's a definition I'm continuing to work on with every conversation I have. I know the students you serve are changed because of the way you make a point to see them, to hear them, and to help them see and hear one another. The Rivera Leovani is referring to is author and activist Rivera Sun, who was a guest on this podcast a few weeks back. I hope you'll look her up. She also refers to Hart as in Hart Phoenix, founder of the River Phoenix Center for Peacebuilding in Gainesville, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast. We hope you'll follow our work and learn more about how you can get involved and start your own changemaker journey at www.blueroadseducation.org. 
We'd love it if you could subscribe to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast and give us a rating on iTunes so that others can find us too. This also helps to elevate the voices of the amazing changemakers you're learning about in our series. Mm-hmm.